0: Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now, your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering.
1: Hi, we've got Coach Daniel here today on the podcast. I'm really happy to have him here with us. He's a sleep doctor turned uh, sleep coach, and he's written a fantastic book called Set It and Forget It, which is just a great perspective on... um, on how to look at the problem of insomnia. And he's kindly agreed to come and share his wisdom uh, here with us today. So, Coach Daniel, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Anytime. Super glad to, to be here. And I, I hope to share something that can be really helpful for your audience.
1: Yeah. Um, and so, if you're out there listening to this and you're... Um, like many people in my audience who m- maybe got on benzodiazepines or drugs like Ambien for sleep problems or even things like mirtazapine for anxiety with sleep uh, issues, then I think you're really going to enjoy this. Um, but let's, uh, you know, I have a flow to how I like to do this. So I'm going to kind of start where I usually do and just say, you know, uh, Coach Daniel, tell us a little bit about your background and um, uh, how you ended up uh, getting into this, uh, this issue of treating insomnia.
0: Absolutely, it's happy to do so. And I'll, I'll actually start at the very beginning, but then fast forward to, I think, what's most relevant. So my, my dad is a doctor, my mom is a nurse, so it, you know becoming a doctor was kind of very natural for me. I didn't ponder it so much. I, I went into medicine, uh, actually did my medical school in Sweden, and then eventually made my way to the US because I heard that you know medical education is so, so good here. I became a pediatrician but I, also, I always knew I wanted to subspecialize in something, become kind of niche down. And randomly, a friend of mine just said, hey, Daniel, do you know that there's actually a, a, a fellowship in sleep medicine? And I, that really intrigued me. I always thought, you know, the functions of the brain were really interesting. And I was glad to know that you could apply from pediatrics, which I did. So in 2010, I graduated from a sleep fellowship at the University of Chicago. So that's how I got into sleep. Now, uh, I had learned a lot of fascinating things during my fellowship, but the practical reality of working as a sleep doctor was that you mostly help people with sleep apnea—you know, that have snore a lot, stop breathing during their sleep. You prescribe them a CPAP machine, etc. Uh, which which I liked, but I also had a lot of patients with insomnia. Uh, probably, I, I you know, at least as many as with sleep apnea, there were people suffering from insomnia. So I thought this was a really great uh, struggle for people, and I had learned. Like the basics of cognitive behavioral therapy, which you know in the traditional space is considered like the gold line treatment for insomnia, I'd learned kind of the basics of that, which I tried to apply uh, during my years as a sleep medicine attending, and I saw that sometimes it seemed to help people, but you know a lot of times people patients just disappeared. I didn't really get any follow through and uh, or feedback from them. Uh, but, I still, but, but still in my mind, I thought that, you know, the problem in the world is that people don't get an access to CBTI. So I decided to just, you know, take it upon myself to start a YouTube channel and kind of mass educate people on cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And that's actually when I truly started uh, understanding insomnia, going back and forth with my YouTube community, like answering comments, you know, etc. And, and from, from that point, over the past, I'd say, five years, I think I've really, really understood insomnia at a level that uh, you know you know not to touch my horn here but like few few people truly understand sleep i think but I, I think i've gained a lot of understanding for insomnia and that's in long story short that's what led me to what i do now which is like uh sleep educator sleep coach
1: you know one thing you know that you call out in the book is that uh traditional cbti really falls short in a lot of places and um i don't know probably what the right way is to 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 get to this but I think maybe you could talk about the main things that you discovered that, that were wrong with CBTI, and then we can go into kind of how how you look at uh, helping people with insomnia now.
0: Absolutely. So if yeah. if you if you look at you know cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia or CBTI, it has sort of two components. One is the C, you know the the cognitive component, which is education, and I think much of What people with insomnia are taught actually makes sense. They're taught that most of us don't sleep uh, eight hours. We actually sleep less than that, six, seven hours is normal. There's no evidence that insomnia causes any health issues. That part of uh, CBTI can be really, really helpful. But the emphasis with traditional CBTI is, is very much on the behavioral components. And those are sleep restriction and stimulus control. And the idea is basically that if you've had insomnia, it doesn't really matter why, as long as you sort of stay out of bed really um, long and you make yourself really, really sleepy, have a really strong sleep drive, that will just overpower any anxiety you have and just make you sleep. And then little by little, you can basically spend more time in bed and that sleep drive will make you sleep. So the understanding, or at least the implied understanding in CBT, is that insomnia is basically a lack of sleep drive. You're not sleepy enough. You don't have enough sleep appetite, and you just got to build that appetite to make yourself sleep. And where I saw that becoming a real struggle for people is that uh, they, you know, a lot of people try to, like, stay up super, super late, get up really early, make themselves sleepy. But the the, the, the understanding that's missing is that insomnia really is an anxiety problem, you know? what's happening with insomnia is that we're so anxious about sleep that that keeps us awake and even if we are super sleepy and have a really strong sleep drive it is not going to make us sleep if we're really scared and that's that's that in an essence is what i found was 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 lacking in cbti
1: so cbti wasn't really helping people with the anxiety surrounding sleep and and that's what it sounds like was the the major problem is that right
0: yeah uh, absolutely i think the the, there's a, The understanding that's missing in CBTI is that um, insomnia to me nowadays uh, is, is it's more helpfully described as almost like a phobia that we have something happen in our lives uh, let's say you, um, you know you're getting married or you're, you have a big test coming on or you have a health scare any Any type of stress can happen in our lives, and that makes us sleep a little bit less, which is completely normal because as part of our brains like safety mechanism when we are under some type of like, you know, um, there's some stress going on. We're supposed to be a little bit more vigilant, be a little bit more prepared. But then what often happens is when we are, let's say we're a little bit stressed and our brain is kind of looking for threats, scanning for threats and we're sleeping less, our brain goes like, oh wait, I didn't sleep. This is a problem. And what's happened in that moment is that our brain has like identified not sleeping as a danger or a threat. And what now happens is that because we're afraid of not sleeping, which is the same as saying, we're afraid of being awake, we now stay awake because that alarm system is on and we stay awake, then what we were afraid of has happened. We're awake, which then makes us think that, oh no, what 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 I was so scared of happened. And then we become even more scared of being awake. So to summarize the way I look at it now, I say that insomnia is an ongoing self-perpetuating struggle that comes from the fear of being awake. Which is kind of a mouthful, but hopefully we can we can uh, you know get into
1: the, uh, a little bit more of this, so it makes more sense for your audience. Sure, yeah, and so. Um. Okay, so, you know, I I think, you know, I what I know of CBTI and maybe what a lot of others have have seen. You know, I often think about yeah, sl- you know, sleep restrictions, things like no screens before bedtime, no no coffee, you know, if you wake up in the middle of the night, get out of your bed quickly, you know, go and go, go into another room and, and, and all of that. What, what is it that, what is it that you do that, that's, that's different from this that addresses, that teaches people to address the anxiety component or the phobia component?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really nice question. And I would say the following. So when I have, um, a student, a client, a follower, uh, I, I, I teach them what I just uh, you know, taught, taught the, the audience here that basically insomnia happens when we started being afraid of being awake. And what we often hear in the traditional space is like, okay, uh, you have trouble sleeping, you should avoid coffee, for example. And the intent with that is that, you know, the idea is like if you avoid coffee, that's gonna make you sleep. So in other words, what you're trying to do actually is you're trying to avoid being awake by eliminating coffee from your life. So in the phobia, if you think of this as a phobia where you're afraid of being awake, you're avoiding something to not face what you have been scared of, which actually exacerbates it. Same thing with like somebody takes melatonin, for example. Oh, you take melatonin and they hope that will make them fall asleep. What they're actually trying to do is take melatonin so that they don't stay awake. And that that just emphasizes to the brain that, oh, being awake is really scary. It's something we should avoid. So the way I do it differently is basically educating people so that they understand that all these things that they're trying to do or avoid to achieve sleep is actually a big reason why they're not sleeping. And that can lead to this like aha moment when people really see the big picture and they're like, oh my gosh, everything I've been doing or avoiding has actually probably led me to have more struggle. And that that can really,
1: really help. Okay. And, um, you know, I know in the book you talk about, hey, if you want to pull out your phone because that's enjoyable and you want to, you know, watch your show or jump on Hulu or or different things like that, then then you should go for it, which is really counter to what um, I, I was taught about uh, CBT. Talk about, can you talk to us a little bit about that? What, like, some of these things that se- seem really counter, like why why does that work? You know, to and why would that be desirable to have someone, you know, just whip out their phone like before they go to bed, or jump on TV, or start watching stuff in the, you know, when they wake up. Like, what's the, you know, what's the uh, what's the thinking behind recommending recommending stuff like that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, uh, if we kind of narrow down my thinking around insomnia, it's, it's basically it's a fear of being awake. So. What uh, what you're describing is what I call befriending wakefulness is basically, I say that when we had insomnia, what we want to do is like teach our brain or teach ourselves that being awake is actually not dangerous. It's perfectly, it's perfectly safe to be awake. So when we go to bed and we're like, hey, I want to watch some Netflix. And we actually do that. What we're indirectly teaching our brain is that it's okay if I'm awake, you know, it, it's not dangerous. And when that fear of being awake fades away, then we naturally sleep easier. Now, a a very common follow-up question I get is that when somebody says like, oh, I get it, Daniel, but if I do something that I enjoy when I'm in bed at night, you know, won't that just keep me up? And then I always go like, now you're onto something. You've discovered something. When you ask that question like, isn't that gonna make me stay awake? You've discovered your fear of being awake. Like you've discovered, you know exactly what is keeping you from sleeping well so there's if you're afraid of being awake there's almost like even more reason to 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 kind of break these rules and do something you enjoy uh at night now that said you know um s- s- some people in my community get the sense that i say that it's very important to do something really fun and throw a party in the middle of the night no it's not it's not at all it's not important to do something engaging or fun uh if that comes natural it's nice but Just resting in bed if you're tired and exhausted is just as helpful. Basically, anything that isn't trying to force sleep is gonna be really, really helpful. And I'm just gonna sneak sneak one more thing in there uh, because some people may be like, oh, what's the evidence for this? How How can you make these claims? Well, if we look at somebody who is sleeping well. And in your audience, some people will know that one. They'll be like their spouse or, or friend. And, and for those who have trouble sleeping, it'll be like the person they're so envious of, right? But if, if we think about that person and we, we ask them uh, the, the following question, they will give us the secret to sleeping well. If we imagine that person we know who sleeps so well and we say like, hey, what do you do to sleep so well? That person will shrug and go, mm, I don't know. And that is the secret. The person who sleeps well exerts no effort. They're not trying whatsoever. So that's just a little bit of like, you know, proof of concept that uh, effortlessness, not trying is really, really what leads us to sleeping well.
1: Walk me through how you got there because I think, you know, this idea could have… I mean, it's not just sleep where this, where I think something, something like this attitude could could be helpful. I also think about it as being helpful with things like chronic pain as well. You know, the, I guess not letting not letting it engulf your life and consume your thoughts. How, how did you arrive there? Well, like, what what did you have to see for you to to start really realizing that? You know, fighting the insomnia and developing these long checklists of things to do was really making the the problem harder and that we really needed to let go of all of those rules and just, I guess, follow the fundamentals. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a nice question. And uh, it, it's one of those questions where I wish I could say like, you know, on March 23rd, 2022, I had this big aha moment and it all came to me. But reality is that it was a multi-year process really of again, really really engaging with my community on YouTube that's I think where I uh, learned a lot um, but if, if I want to point to one specific thing it was the following so whenever I had um, a patient actually even back then and uh, or a follower or a client or a student who who told me like hey Daniel like I I'm not bothered by insomnia anymore I'm sleeping while well. I'm living my life I'm, I'm all good then I would ask so what do you think helped the most and the question the answer I always got or almost always got was a version of I stopped caring so much. And like the fact that almost everyone told me that, that indicated to me that there is there is something there, 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 there's some truth there. And what I kind of like when I started sharing that with the community, that you know, like I think like when we care less, we sleep easier. That that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because they would say, like, but Daniel, like, doesn't everybody care about sleep? And that is also true. I think we all sleep. We all want to sleep well, right? So when somebody says, um, "I don't care so much about sleep anymore," it, it really doesn't mean that they don't care, because all of us want to sleep well and feel well. But what it means is really that they become a little bit what I call less attached to the outcome. They, they when a person goes from like, "Oh my gosh, I must sleep. It is the it is, it is of the utmost paramount importance for me," that person will have trouble sleeping. But when a person goes, if I sleep well tonight, that's great. If I don't, that's also okay. Then they become like less attached to the outcome. They they they're they are really found um uh, a, a a path to peaceful sleep. But uh that's yeah, you know, in summary, that's how I kind of started arriving at these conclusions.
1: It's interesting. I mean uh, um to me it almost sounds like a you know, this form of kind of acceptance. And whenever I say that to myself, I think stages of grief, you know. You know, rejecting it. You know, bargaining, and then finally coming to acceptance with it. And it—it it is. I, you know, my my thinking is it probably is kind of like a journey for many people to get there to kind of accept um, that. You know, sometimes I'm not going to sleep well, and and that's okay. I'll still be functional, and and I think when you get that acceptance and you take the pressure off then you know it's like you're more likely to sleep and and so the i guess my question to you now is how do you like let, let's say you've got someone who um just has chronic insomnia you know uh, you know they've been maybe because of a you know st- you know stress at very demanding job all of these stresses they end up on On sleeping pills, and then they turn up and they say, you know, I'm I'm on a really high dose of a medication. I can't go any further. You know, my doctor's saying this is the most it's going to go. Like, how do you walk someone from that position, you know, where they're really convinced they need the medication, to to kind of, I guess, this this place of acceptance where it's like I can, you know, I need to just accept that the sleep. Um, that not sleeping is not scary, and that really that's going to be the key you know to to developing healthy sleep habits and you know and hopefully coming off the medication
0: Yeah, yeah so as you said uh, it, it is I often describe it as a journey or a path um, <clears throat> because that person you describe you know they've had a lot of stress uh they they've been put on you know they've probably gone back and f- like back and forth about many medications and they've escal- escalating medications now they're on a really high dose but they don't want to take it and and their insomnia journey which typically involves trying not only medications but trying you know supplements and limiting coffee and like uh, uh you know a whole bunch of things unfortunately creates a situation where for this person, it seems like this is a really complex and uh, and difficult, like en- en- enigmatic position I'm in. So it, to go from that place to like, you know what, I don't need medications. I can sleep easily. There's no pressure. It, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a process for sure. Uh, now, how how does that happen or how do I help people with that? I think what's... Uh, you know, what limited me a little bit, uh, or quite a lot, if I'm being completely completely honest, what what was very limiting with being in a traditional setting as a sleep doctor was that I would see a person for like, you know, maybe I had 30 minutes for an initial visit, right? And I try to really, you know, share some meaningful education with that person, but you have very little time. So you you tell them a a few things, and then you tell them, okay, now I'll see you back in two weeks, And between the first visit and the second visit, there was really no interaction. Like, so the person is left completely on their own, which is very, it's very difficult to help people in that way. And so what I'm doing now is uh, producing both like free content as well as programs that address that by, you know, by kind of providing people with like bite-sized education. You know, you you can start, you know, you start by learning the fundamentals of sleep, then you start understanding insomnia, then you understand, you know, uh, medications and little by little when 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 we demystify and we take we, we price somebody with clarity, automatically like their fear starts to fade and they arrive at a place where they're like not so scared anymore and um they can start coming off their medications. But basically to answer your question, it is it is a journey and I think this like ongoing support, ongoing education during that journey is is so, so helpful.
1: You know, when I hear it says that what what I hear is you know it really can be the power of like that relationship that you form with the person you know and that they they trust what they're hearing from you and that it's making sense and instead of it being like you said an enigmatic complicated problem it's like oh my god there's a journey out of here you know there's a guide who can kind of walk me out of this and and that in and of itself would reduce anxiety and, and and stress um I, I would. I wonder. It could, I, d- I don't know if it makes things any more different in how you would kind of go about helping s- someone. Um, well, actually, maybe I'll start here. Just, just because I, I don't think we've fully covered this. If you could, and this might be a test for you. What are the fundamentals? You know, if if you were to give us like your sixty second version of the fundamentals. For maybe an uncomplicated person, not someone on all these medications they just they've had insomnia for six months and they're just really struggling with it. What are the fundamental things that you would just tell them to get in order
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would say that um there, there are like in in what we teach the way we teach, we do have these like two fundamental principles, so I really want to mention that and and uh, really everything I teach can be like traced back to these two, two principles. And one is the principle of effortlessness and the other one is the principle of, of survival. And we've already touched upon the first one. And it basically says that everything we want in life, peaceful mind and peaceful sleep are effortless. If you think about any time in your life when you felt like, you know, at ease, you were calm, did that happen because you produced that, forced that or made that happen? It didn't. It was always because of the lack of trying to make it happen. So peace, this peaceful sleep always comes from effortlessness. And we talked about, you know, our friend who said they don't do anything to sleep. It's kind of proof of concept of that. The other principle is the principle of survival. And and it says that, you know, everything, anything that's alive, whether it's, a, you know, a, a bee or an insect or, or a or human or like a tree, it's designed for survival, you know. If we look at the human body, why do we have nails or eyebrows or anything, everything can be boiled down to survival. It, it gives us some type of survival advantage. And really the same thing is true, I believe, for the human brain. It is a survival machine. And so when it is faced with you know a tangible threat, like you know we're about to hit be hit by a bus, this is actually it's, it's designed for this. It immediately makes us really scared, puts us in a fight or flight situation where we jump out of, out of you know out of the path of the bus and we survive. And, and that's, uh, that's fantastic, of course. Now, the tricky thing is, is that in 2023, there are not that many tangible, physical, actual threats to us humans. So our kind of safety machinery there, it, it can often get confused. And when it starts treating um, a perceived threat, like wake, being awake at night, as a real threat, you know it can be quite complicated, or not complicated, but it, we can get into a struggle, I should say. If we start being like, "Oh no, I'm awake, I'm going to have to escape this," then we're reinforcing the idea that there's a threat, and um, you know things become more complicated. so I, which I've already talked about, so in essence, I would say like these two principles of effortlessness and survival they they can be really helpful to see, uh, and um, you know, and we, we understand those, like so many things become demystified. so I would if I could pick two things, I would definitely pick those two.: mm-hmm.
1: and um okay, so. You talk a lot about the, at least in the start of your book, you talk about the brakes and the gas, um, and um, I thought that was a really easy easy way to kind of understand um, kind of the driving forces. Could you could you share a little bit about the brakes and the gas analogy? Because uh, you know, when I heard that, I felt like insomnia made a lot of sense to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and as you were bringing that up, I was like, oh yeah, that would have actually been a better, a better um, teaching point to go over, so I'm, I'm glad you did, but mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. So the g- gas and brake model, I think is really helpful because it's, it simplifies things. So when we, when we have had a struggle with insomnia again, it can seem so complicated, but there are really just two things that I think really matter when it comes to, to sleeping well, and those are the gas and the brakes. So you can think of a, a car, A car has like a gas pedal that makes it go forward and a brake pedal that stops it. And in reality, the sleep system isn't more complicated than that. There's only one thing that actually can make us humans sleep and that is our sleep drive or sleep appetite. And in a similar way to hunger, it builds uh, passively, meaning the longer you go without eating, the more hungry you become, right? And it's the same thing with sleep drive. The longer you go being awake, the more sleep drive you have, the more your body wants to sleep. And that sleep drive, again, is the only thing in the universe that can make us humans sleep. But there is, of course, a break in the sleep system too. And that's for safety reasons. And um, uh, for example, if, if we're really, really sleepy, but uh, you know uh, our smoke detector goes off in our house, we're, we don't wanna sleep because it's just not safe. So the the safety break in our sleep system is what we call hyperarousal, which is this state of you know heightened vigilance and heightened alertness that we feel when we're anxious, scared, but also when we're excited. You know, when something's going off and our brain thinks, "Hmm, you should you know you should pay attention to this," then that can keep us from sleeping. So we have again, sleep drive is the gas, the thing that makes us sleep, and hyperarousal is the break in our sleep system. So knowing this, uh, one thing that becomes actually very very clear is that. Uh, all these things like how light it is in our bedroom, how much sound there is in our bedroom, like what time we had coffee, if we exercise, and things like that, they don't actually matter because neither of them in the, by themselves have an impact on the gas or the break. Another thing that's kind of neat is that when we have this gas and break picture in our mind, we can see that there's sort of like four different scenarios that uh, we can find ourselves in as, as, as uh, it pertains to sleep. One is a state where we, let's say, we have neither. We have neither sleep drive, you know, or we have any hyper arousal. There's no gas, no brake. Uh, and, and in that scenario, we will be sort of resting if we go to bed in that scenario, because we're not gonna fall asleep because our body doesn't wanna sleep. There's no sleep drive, but we're also not gonna feel particularly excited or agitated because there's no hyperarousal, right? That's, you know, just resting. Then we can have a scenario where we have sleep drive. Uh, no, let's save that one for last. We, we have uh, no sleep drive, let's say, and we have hyper-arousal. This is This is, if you go to bed, like, we're not sleepy, but we go to bed super early and we're really anxious, which is kind of very, very unpleasant. Uh, we're gonna be awake. And then we have the classic insomnia scenario, which is a, a person with insomnia doesn't sleep much or well. So they do have sleep drive. Their body like wants to sleep, but they're also really scared of not sleeping or being awake. So they have this gas and brake phenomenon where they they, it's kind of like driving a car with the brake pushed in, so the, this person will, you know, they may fall asleep, but then they wake up again. Then they stay awake. Then they fall asleep briefly. It's kind of very choppy and un, uh, and also unpleasant. That's kind of the classical insomnia scenario. And then we have what we want, which is like, you know, we have sleep drive, we are sleepy, and we're not hyper aroused, and then we sleep really well. But in 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 essence, this is this is really all uh, we need to know to understand how sleep works. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and so. You know, I'm trying to think about. You know, I'm going to take a, take a segue now uh, over to my community, and a lot of my community is people coming off sedatives. Um, could you just just share your reflections on 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 what it's been like working with people who are coming off uh, uh, sedative medications for sleep and helping them restore sleep? What what what's that been like for you?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to share, that. and that's that's very common in our community. Somebody who um, you know wants to come off a sleeping pill, a sedative, and I want to say that I've had you know the, the whole spectrum. Like somebody who actually finds that it wasn't that hard to to wean off. They expected it to be really difficult, but it, it didn't turn out to be that way, and and the and the opposite too. Somebody who's like. It becomes a real struggle uh that is you know th- the struggle is really emphasized by this medication that somebody's conflicted about that really want to come off of it they try they go back on it and et cetera et cetera so I've had like both those experiences
1: and you know from from when you were doing this as a physician um how would you usually taper sleeping medications like what what did you what did you learn about it at the time um, um yeah and and any reflections on on, on that
0: you know um, that's a great question. I, I would say in kind of medical school or uh, during sleep fellowship, the education as far as de prescribing was nothing like everybody exactly. yeah. you know, you taught how to prescribe but not how to deprescribe. So when I was a sleep physician i i uh, you know I would say I'd, I'd just base it patient by patient and do something I felt was reasonable. But I don't remember um, exactly like how it, how would it approach it. But with that said, I I have some things I I was kind of like really excited to to discuss with you in terms of like how cool. I approach it now. If that sounds good,
1: yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> I love that, yeah.
0: Okay, very well. I'll I'll jump into this. so now as as a coach, I, I of course never give anybody medical advice. I always tell them you know talk to your prescriber. But I have these kind of like three um, topics or three teachings that I want to always go over with somebody who wants to come off medication and the first one is this um like let's call it the concept of delegation and so i said earlier that nothing can really make a human sleep except for their own kind of natural sleep drive but then it's, what often people come back to me with is saying like but hey daniel you know like every time i take my ambien or my trazodone or whatever it is i do fall asleep and and points out that, that there must be evidence there that this actually does make me fall asleep. Well, then I say like, well, this principle of effortlessness, I think is very true. Like when you sleep, it's always beca- because we, we're no longer trying. So how can we reconcile this? Well, the way I always teach it is that, check this out. When, when you're taking a medication, whatever it is, two things are happening. One is yes, a particular chemical substance is you know, distributed in your body, that is true but you're also aware of taking it. And that's the second thing that's happening. You're aware of taking a pill. And if you, in that moment, you take the the pill, whatever it is, you think, oh, how nice. This will take care of sleep more for me. I don't have to do anything further. Guess what has happened? You have now become effortlessness. You're no longer gonna try to sleep because you have delegated the presumed work of sleeping to the pill. And that is the magic that effortlessness is the magic. So I always teach people that it's not the chemicals, the substances that make you sleep. It is the fact that you have delegated the presumed work. You're no longer trying to sleep. And uh, and that makes you sleep. And that also explains these strange phenomena that people can have that like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, which to me is that, well, sometimes you delegate and sometimes you take the pill, but you're not sure it's gonna work or not. And then you, you have trouble sleeping. So this principle, this, a concept of delegation is something I always talk to people about, so before I talk about the other ones, you know back to you and I'm curious yeah. to hear your thoughts on this
1: yeah, I mean, it sounds to me a lot like the the placebo effect with a lot of the psychiatric medications where you know there's sure you know there definitely is a drug effect you know there's a uh but it's often helped by our expectations about taking a drug and you know being engaged in treatment and doing something um and so I could definitely see this happening with you know taking like a sedative like tamazepam or any benzodiazepine where I mean everyone who takes them they know these things hit the hardest in the first couple months when you take them but then it kind of wears off and your body kind of becomes tolerant to it and it's less sedating but it still seems to work for sleep and sometimes for a very long time and so I suspect over time that actual, the drug effect is wearing down, but still that placebo or that expectation or the delegation, as you say, um, is really what's helping people. Um, And uh, it's like, yeah, this is, it's taken care of. I've taken my pill. I I just gonna sit here and wait for it to happen. The other thing I was gonna say on that is, I've I've had a lot of luck tapering people from sedatives with, um, uh, in a blinded manner, you know, where I will, you know, when I'm re- removing the medication, I, I work with a parent or a spouse, and I'll just I'll just stop it, and I will have them. You know, if I'm using capsules, they'll take a placebo. If I'm using like uh, liquids, we'll we'll get the suspension syrup, and we'll just keep on dosing them, and then I just tell them three months later. You know, you by the way, you've been off for the last three months, and that seems to. Seems to help them uh, just go. Oh wow, you know, it's been three months. I'm well and truly out of the withdrawal window, and I think they can. It's it's yeah. I I think it teaches the lesson at that point that they can sleep with without it.
0: Hundred percent, and that's that's fascinating how you do that. And you know, um, what it's very similar to something uh, we see or I see a lot, which is that people sometimes just forget you know, they realized that, oh my gosh, I slept fine, but I forgot to take it, which is, teaches the same point that, you know, it wasn't that the uh, medication that made you sleep, it, it, it was all coming from you.
1: Yeah, well, we got two more points and I'm eager to hear them. <laughs> what, what, what were the next ones? Yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely, so when, when somebody, um, has heard this and there's let's just for argument's sake say they're, they're like okay i get it Like, it's really delegation is helping it's not so much the, the chemicals itself that 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 really helps somebody because then that automatically makes the drug seem less important which which really really helps now so the second point i always go into then is the um the conflict and the way i usually start this teaching point is by saying that you know what there are millions of people out there who take the medication and sleep just fine and there are millions of people don't take a sleep medication and sleep just fine and sort of just de-emphasizing again the importance of the medication because if it seems like a crucial thing to get right uh, then it, it builds up a lot of tension for people so when people see okay both are fine that that can help but more specifically where i find people struggling a lot is when they have this inner conflict when they have a conflict between a i want to sleep well and B, I don't want to take any pill. And people often don't want to take any pill because of various reasons, like uh, they don't want to get uh, addicted and they are worried about health consequences, etc. But then they, again, they also want to sleep well. And so when these two interests are sort of in conflict, it, it it leads people to a place where they're like, they they really don't want to take the medication, but they feel like they have to just sleep. And there's the inner friction. There's kind of like the back and forth and the questioning and all this stuff. So. I always teach people that this conflict can be resolved in, in two ways. And one way is that you no longer take the medication because then there's nothing to be conflicted about. But the other way this conflict can be resolved is that you can also change the way you treat yourself and look at, uh, y- y- look at taking the medication. Uh, for example, a lot of people take vitamins at night. And uh, a lot of us, you know, may not be 100% convinced that the vitamins are having a huge impact on our health. You know, we may take a vitamin because, you know, maybe it'll help, maybe not. And more importantly, like, I ask people like, how do you treat yourself for taking vitamin? And, And most people will actually say, I feel really good about it. I kind of congratulate myself. I feel good about taking it. And when I then say, well, if you think about the sleeping pills you're taking, and let's say something that is FDA approved, that's safe, you know, and, if you're, if you're taking it, if you're thinking it as just a little act of self-care, you're not really sure it does that much, but you're not blaming yourself for it. You're not criticizing yourself for it. That can ease that conflict too. And you can be in a place where you're just like, you know, for now, I'm going to take it and there will be a time for me when it's time to taper off. But the, so the second teaching point is that that conflict can really hurt people. And that when the conflict is resolved, either... By stopping taking it, or just being kinder and gentler with ourselves as we're taking it, that really, really helps.
1: Yeah, I love that one. Um, um, no, no point kind of beating yourself up before you're you're, you're ready to come off. Um, and it's yeah, okay. And was there? What did you have a third point, or was there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have it. The
0: third one. So yeah. when somebody, let's say, just again for argument six, somebody says like, "Okay, I understand delegation," and let's say they heard the second point about conflict and they say, you know, I understand the conflict part, but I think I'm ready. I think I do want to come off whatever I'm taking. And then people often ask me like, so exactly how should, what's the best way to do that? Like how many milligrams should I go down and what time frame, et cetera. And of course, then I say, this is not a medical device. So, you know, talk to your prescriber about this. But in what I think is that often um, it, it is, Thinking that there is an ideal way, a perfect way to come off that doesn't make us anxious is tricky because we're, again, trying to forecast our own emotions and our own emotional response versus making making a plan and sticking to it. So I, I call this maposity, make a plan and stick to it. And what I think matters when it comes to this plan is that it feels doable to you, uh, that it, does, it doesn't feel like shocking or like, you know, super fast taper, but it feels like, you know... I think I can do this. You know, I'm gonna go down by such and such uh amount in such and such time. Uh that feels okay to me. Then I say, okay, this is your plan and stick to it. Make a plan and stick to it. And and because it's often the second guessing that, that creates trouble for us. So that's the Mapasdi. But mm-hmm. of course, when somebody then is like, telling me, hey, Daniel, you know, I, I, I was doing so well, but yesterday I was so anxious, so frazzled that I took the medication again. I took the full dose and now I've undone all my progress. I'm back to square one. Then I'm like, not at all, not at all. Like we all do things like that when we're just frazzled, right? And I say, uh, you know, the second acronym this is the If like ma- make a plan and stick to it. But when you don't, it's fine.
1: You know, when you don't, it. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's, that's, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about, um, you know, what I'm hearing is about being kind to yourself, not creating additional anxiety, coming at yourself with a much more compassionate, compassionate perspective. And that also facilitates, um, the recovery from, from insomnia. Um, that's great. I, um, I, I want to segue again because there's so much I want to cover with you. Um, the, a lot of people that will be listening to this show will have a condition called protracted withdrawal injury. Um, if uh, essentially, you know, it's um, uh, I'd say it's a can be a fairly severe neurological pain, you know, neuropathic pain. Um, what's What's your experience been like helping people with insomnia who are, you know, have, who have chronic and and severe pain? Yeah, that's that's a nice
0: question. I- Um, I would say that to me, when, when this question comes up, what really, really helps is to, uh, understand the difference between sleep disruption and insomnia. And what I mean by that, well, sleep disruption is kind of an expected impact on sleep that, that can come from like an innumerable amount of sources. So for example, pain if you take any random person and you make them have pain, like let's say I, I fell with my bike a couple of years ago and I had this like rib pain for like weeks and I did not sleep well. And so it just shows that anyone with pain will have, that will have some impact on their sleep. That's called sleep disruption. And it can, it's not only pain, of course, it can be like, you know, your noisy neighbor or, or stress or, uh, you know, an, a new medication, or a, a lot of things can cause sleep disruption. Now, what characterizes sleep disruption is that there's no, there's no pondering or wondering around it. We go like, well, of course I'm not sleeping well because this happened, right? Because, I... so that's sleep disruption. Insomnia, on the other hand, is, it has this element of mystery around it. We're like, we're chasing sleep. We're trying to understand why we're not sleeping. It doesn't make sense to us. We're like, uh, you know, we're, we're in- internally problem solving. And when somebody has chronic pain, I think what helps to understand is that, you know, anybody with pain will have some sleep disruption. And that leads us to kind of like some level of acceptance, like, you know, yes, anyone with this pain would have some trouble sleeping. But if we, if we still apply the insomnia teachings here, we see that we don't need to like chase sleep. Like the more we try to do to achieve sleep, even when we have pain, the more that will just exacerbate things. We will have not only sleep disruption, which is normal and expected, but then we'll have insomnia too. We'll have this fear of of sleep that's making it even harder for us to sleep. So essentially where this leads us is to a place where if you have chronic sleep and insomnia, you know, you can do this like education, this inner work, learn about acceptance and self-kindness, et cetera, which removes the insomnia, right? So we we're no longer having any trouble sleeping from the fear of not sleeping. That's that's gone. Will we sleep, you know, perfectly well? Maybe not, you know, as so long as we have pain, there may be some, some sleep disruption, but what often causes much more suffering than sleep disruption, it, it is the insomnia because insomnia is like an emotional struggle. And when that's gone, things are much, much easier.
1: So it's, I mean, it sounds essentially, well, I hope I heard you right. What what I heard is apply the same teachings of, uh, I guess, self-compassion, try to not make it a bigger deal than it is and. In many ways, that kind of fits with this condition because protracted withdrawal is, has a good prognosis. It recovers gradually. Sometimes it can take a couple of years, but um, it always trends in a positive direction. And there's people who have made it through it with really poor sleep and they still come out the other side and they're okay. So probably addressing a lot of the concerns that you will be okay even you know, with sleep or without sleep helps people stay calm while they're going through it
0: 100 percent. and by the way like one thing i really want to add here is that for some people in your audience i think when they hear you say you'll be okay even if you sleep little or more they'll be like how can you say that that's not true because uh they'll say when i don't sleep um i feel like completely like uh i feel like a wreck i, I feel like i can't concentrate i'm tired you know I have physical symptoms, et cetera, et cetera. My
1: day is ruined, the next day is ruined. Yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly. And and I just wanna quickly comment on that, which is that when we have that idea, of course we will really desire and crave sleep, right? Because we are so afraid of how we'll feel the next day. So it can really, really help to understand why is the next day like that? And I like to do this thought experiment. So if you take a random person, never had any sleep struggles, no relationship to sleep if you will and you keep that person awake for a whole 24 hours they're up all night right we keep them awake all night and then we ask that person how do you feel today in all likelihood that person will say you know i feel a bit tired today i'm sleepy i'm a little foggy difficult difficulty, difficulty, difficulty concentrating which shows that of course sleeping less in itself without our own reaction to it has some impact and so that that is true But what I think really, really helps again is to see what this person does not say. So a random person that we kept up uh, 24 hours will not say, I have a tsunami of anxiety. I don't know how I'm gonna function, uh, doom and gloom. I think my world is coming down on me. Like, you know, and that just shows us that what really bothers us when we have insomnia is not actually how much we slept, but how we react to how much we slept, the emotional reaction to to sleeping less and how we think about it. And when people see that, that can be so eye-opening because that takes them from like, oh, I have to sleep or I'm going to feel terrible to, oh, it's not how much I sleep that makes me feel a certain way. It's more how I think about it. And so, yeah, that that can really, really change things.
1: What do you tell people um, to help them, I guess, break out of that this day is ruined. Uh, and well, I, I know in your book. I mean, I'm, this is a leading question. You, you talk about like maybe going to the spa and you know doing things on these bad days. Like, how, how do you how do you coach people to get the most out of these these kind of bad days so they can kind of learn in real time by like kind of throwing themselves into a bad day themselves into a bad day to kind of um, see that it's not that bad. Like, what do you what, what do you do with your clients? Yeah,
0: yeah no, that's a good question. Um, one thing that I think is really helpful in our community is that we have a lot of, like on our YouTube channel, we have a lot of stories. Like a lot of people share their stories of how they left the struggle. And, and hearing that other people had the same ideas and you know when the ideas change, everything change can be really, really powerful and helpful. So I often direct people to listen to some, some of the success stories. But uh, other than that, I wanna say that for a lot of us, we can actually find evidence uh, that nothing, not everything hinges on sleep, but just by looking at our own memory, like our own memories and our own experiences. Uh, I may ask somebody to be like, hey, did you ever remember a, a day in your life that was, that was actually really nice, even though you hadn't slept much? And some people are like, you know, like, yeah, when I got married, that was the best day of my life, but I hardly slept the day before. Like that can be like nice evidence or the opposite. Some people remember like, you know, I had a really crappy day, you know, two days ago and uh, I actually slept the whole night. And, and both those can just like be evidence that shows that, you know, how much we sleep isn't really what matters. So just looking back, um, like that can be really helpful. And you're also right. I write a lot about, um, you know, taking advantage of a of a kind of a choppy night where we, where we, you know, in the morning, we don't feel well, we're like tired and anxious, et cetera, and be like, you know what, this happened, I didn't have a nice night, but I can just, Kind of be kind to myself, be nice for do something uh, extra special for myself, and that that can really be helpful because when when the brain sees that something nice can happen, even if we didn't sleep last, then that pressure to sleep can come down, so yeah, that can be really helpful
1: that's yeah that I. A lot of these things are really um, you know the analogy i I think of with what I deal with is protracted withdrawal injury, where you know people it has a nonlinear course of recovery. So, you know, they have this neuropathic pain syndrome, and then it will kind of come and go where some ta- some days will be fine and other days will be really bad. And um, I, um, you know, the the main the main thing that I think helps people get through this is distraction. And so when people have the bad days, I tend to try and get them as active in their life as possible. So so they're not kind of in the house thinking about how bad the pain is. And um, also having those experiences, just like you said, where, you know, it was an awful day. I didn't feel like going out to lunch with my family, but you know what, when I was there, there was that was like 90 minutes where I actually forgot about how bad my pain was. And it, um, and I think people need to, to, to see that, to kind of snap out of that, that cycle of I can't do, any, do anything and, and to learn, oh, actually, you know, engaging in life to the extent that I can can actually be very therapeutic and can make the days go faster.
0: Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like you said, like uh, understanding that cognitively can can be helpful, but it's often when people actually experience it and get kind of experiential learning and like, you know what, that it happened. I I went out to that lunch, uh, lunch with my family and I felt at ease or I, I felt I didn't feel the pain much just experiencing that can be yeah so so helpful yeah
1: so Co- coach Daniel I'm, I'm kind of out of questions at the moment so I want to invite you to just kind of jump in with anything that we haven't discussed which you think is really cool or neat or that we've left out that you really want to share
0: uh yes that's uh yeah I'm kind of going in my mind like what if I could choose one thing what would I pick well I probably will will uh just share one little thing that we haven't, that I think we didn't cover to, to that great extent. And it is the following. So one thing that um, makes a lot of people in our community really frazzled and scared is, is that they've heard that, oh, if you don't sleep enough, you are going to get like Alzheimer's or, or you know, immune deficiency, or it's gonna c- cause, c- cause havoc in your body. And the, the, the strange thing is that when you actually look at evidence, uh, there is no evidence that shows that short sleeper insomnia causes any of that there, there's just no studies showing that so what we always hear about are just associations you know somebody does like this study where they look at they take like a thousand people and say how are you sleeping and you know do you have diabetes and they're like oh look there's a correlation between the two and then they're like oh sleeping not sleeping enough uh, causes this and that but in reality it's quite easy to see how that can happen if you imagine anybody who has any health issue that is very likely to impact their sleep. Like, you know, if somebody has you know, arthritis or pain or you know any health issue is likely to impact our sleep. And we know that because, we, you know, because of sleep disruption, but it's not causational. So, uh, you know, th- th- we could talk a lot about this, but what I just want to share real briefly is that if you actually look at the evidence, there's no evidence that short sleep insomnia causes any health issues, and that can be a huge source of relief and, uh, and that can really help.
1: Well, Coach Daniel, I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and speak with my audience. Um, uh, for those of you all who want to um, learn more about Coach Daniel, I'd highly recommend Set It and Forget It. It's um, kind of a detailed version of this talk and uh, also go and uh, check him out on his YouTube channel. Can you plug your YouTube channel, uh, Daniel? Where do, what do people search to find it?
0: Absolutely. They just uh, search The Sleep Coach School and they'll okay. find it. Okay,
1: great. Well, thank you so much for coming on it was a pleasure talking to you
0: anytime super fun thank you for listening to today's episode if you want to see the full video interview we also post these to youtube just go to wit during psychiatry on youtube to find those you'll also find several youtube exclusive videos from doctors yosef and marissa posted several times a week finally if you need help with your drug taper getting a second opinion or managing your post acute withdrawal Come visit us at witduringpsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.